Welcome to PNR and This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. Listen to Joe and Robert talk about the oldest marketing on the planet, storytelling, and how you can tell a better story to attract and retain customers. Be sure to subscribe to PNR via iTunes and check the contentmarketinginstitute.com site for the show notes. Enjoy! And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, Happy New Year to all you content marketers out there, and I hope you're all getting ready for a magical and prosperous 2014. Welcome to a special year-end episode, episode number six of This Old Marketing. Today is Sunday, December 22nd, and I'm coming to you from a festive Los Angeles, California. And as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the Santa Claus and Father New Year, all wrapped into one for content marketing. You ready to make some predictions, Joe? How many nicknames are you going to have for me, my friend? I mean, I think I'm going to try and switch it up every 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 episode. You know, I'm excited about this episode, Robert. You know, we talked about doing something as a, a traditional year end episode, and you know, six episodes or not, I think we should set a tradition, and I think we should start going through sort of our predictions on what we think is to come of the content marketing industry and all that's made of it. So I think, you know, if it's okay with you, Robert, I think we sort of forget our regular script. We'll do away with the sponsor announcement this time. We'll we'll do away with this old marketing. We'll bring all that back uh, next week and next episode. And this one, we just sort of focus on, you know, our predictions and get out our, our magic eight ball or crystal ball or whatever you want to, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. If that's okay with you, my friend. It is absolutely okay with me. Right. I've got, uh, as you might expect, I'm not short on looking into that crystal ball or that magic eight ball, and and we'll see. Well, we'll see what comes out. Well, I want I I want you to really come back at mine, and I, I'm anxious to hear your predictions. So why don't you kick it off and start with uh, your predictions, and and I'll let everyone know if they're going to come true or not. All right. Well, fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad that we have your expertise then, <laughs> Father Christmas. Yes. All right. Um, so, here, well, here's the first one, and it may not be a big stretch. Uh, it is that 2014 is going to be the first year that enterprises really en masse start creating formal organizations to manage content marketing. I mean, this is just something that I'm actually seeing a trend as we work with you know, the, all the different brands that we do, you know, right now, you know, over the last, call it 18 months, 24 months, what we've seen is really traditional, the traditional marketing departments assigning roles and, and really assigning responsibilities and even, you know, taking responsibilities across all the different departments, whether it's social media, classic marketing, PR, all these different areas and sort of pulling in these people to have the unofficial title of content marketer or, uh, you know, chief content officer, whatever it is. But I think this year is the first year that we really start to see big enterprises starting to create literally formal departments or formal organizations around being really good with content, you know, to the extent that everybody has content marketing related titles and are really looking to sort of create that bridge with everything else that's going on. Is this the centers, center of content excellence like we see at Coca-Cola and Kraft? Is that sort of what you're talking about? It is. It is. And, you know, and, and you know, well, Rebecca Lieb wrote a really good white paper on this and one that I constantly sort of are, are, is out there, are out there promoting. And, and, but 
you know, it's this idea that there is, you know, whether you call it a center of excellence or an editorial board or a department or whatever it is, I think that's less important than I think what we're seeing out there is that as these roles become more defined and as the benefits themselves are becoming realized, I I think what we're really seeing is the need for a formal structure, you know, and and one that is actually recognized by the rest of the organization. Because what happens is, is what we're seeing when enterprises, when it doesn't work, when content marketing doesn't work, it's because it's just another thing that a classic marketer has to do in their job. And so what happens is it gets deprecated down to, you know, item number 473 on the to-do list. And that's why we're constantly in this sort Mm -hmm. of cycle of seeing, hey, we don't have enough content, or I don't know how to get content out of the organization, or I don't know how to produce content that engages. It's because the organization hasn't really recognized it as as a formal group yet. Well, let me let me play devil's advocate with you. First of all, I believe in what you're saying. I mean, on one of mine, I don't have to go through one of my predictions now. I had at least three Fortune 500 companies will hire an actual chief content officer role, which I think is very similar to what you're saying. But you're yes. But, but we've talked all along that content marketing is an approach and it's not a department. But what does it mean then that if you're, you're saying you're going to organize around? You're not. Are you saying that there actually is a department formed around content marketing, or what does that mean to you? It, it it means exactly that, and and I don't know, you know, and again, the actual name of it, whether it's depart. I mean, I hate departments yeah. as a name anyway, but but uh, you know, the whether it's a uh, whether it's actually a formal role that is now officially recognized by the organization that is spread around the organization, or whether it's actually a physical department, you know, with cubes and people in chairs and t- titles and all of that. That to me is less important than the actual formal recognition by the company that this exists as a process. And to me, it's two things. And this is going to be one of my big uh, soapboxes for 2014. One is the content management, you know, how, how organizations get facile with content and manage it well, producing it across all the channels, archiving it well, et cetera, et cetera, all of the good tenets of content strategy, quite frankly. But the other is what organizations aren't good at now, and this organization will start to prepare them for is a content creation strategy where they actually start putting formal processes in place for the organization to actually iterate, create, and uh, work on the creation of content as a formalized sort of role within the company. Right now, it's just very ad hoc. Who can create it? Let's just throw some stuff up and see how it gets done or have the agency do it. But if we start thinking about content creation as a process, within the company, that's going to be what really starts to drive forward the need for a formal organization. Yeah, I'm torn, actually. I mean, I think we need this type of a thing, and I think we're going to see it, and we're seeing it, frankly, right? I mean, we've seen more content marketing-related titles hired in 2013 than 2012, and we'll see more in 2014. So it just begs that you're going to have a formalized process around this. The reason why this is necessary, because it's sort of content run amok, right, in most of these other departments, You've got okay. You've got yeah, that's right. social needs content, PR needs content, uh, Marcom needs content. Uh, you know, even HR needs content. IT sometimes IT is running content, which is a whole other podcast that <laughs> that, that we could do <laughs> at some point. Uh, so I think that's what you're saying is right. You if you don't have if somebody is not accountable for content marketing in the organization, then it's not important. That's right, and it and it becomes less important to the person who actually has to take that on as their 
as their job. If it's not formally recognized, you know, they're not getting bonused on it. They're not getting, you know, recognized for it. And so it's just going to get deprecated as something that they don't have to do as part of their job. And that's mostly the reason why I see content programs failing is because it's just this other thing that it's, you know, it's funny. It's not dissimilar from where digital was even, you know, 10 years ago, where digital was this sort of informal thing where people thought, oh, just, we should just build a website. We'll have a kid do it. Right. And it became the thing. No, 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 no. Professionals are needed to do this. Well, content marketing is in a similar place. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, that, I mean, of course, I come from the publishing background and at Penton Media, a lot, you know, as a large business to business publisher, we had a print process, print publishing process. Say that 50 times. And, <laughs> and that's, everything was set up around that. And then, oh, oh, by the way, in the late 90s, this whole thing called digital came around. And then we had digital specialists. So the digital right. specialists came in, and print didn't really work with digital specialists all that much, and they were completely separate processes, but at least it was there, and we were trying to do something with it and didn't really know what we were doing. Well, now, fast forward you know, 10, 15 years later, it's a digital-first mentality. So may, is that sort of could that be where we're going where you know our frame of reference now is so from a traditional marketing focus and maybe in the future like a, a stepping stone is we need these content centers of excellence because we're not at the point where we can actually think about this customer centric view and how we're going to deliver content at the right time we're not there yet so a band-aid to this is this content center of excellence role I think yeah I think that's partially true for sure you know I mean I you know from a from when I look at the digital standpoint, you know, when I look at the digital perspective of this, I, 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 I dislike that as well, right? It's, yeah. it's just marketing. And there is no marketing that's not digital in some way these days. And so for many of these brands that are, you know, trying to uh, figure out, you know, how to organize their, their, their company, many of them are still in this idea of splitting out digital and splitting out the, you know, traditional quote unquote marketing. And what I'm finding is, is that successful ones are just like, you know what, it's marketing and they all, it all has a digital, you know, it all has a digital component to it these days. You may be right. It may be a temporary solution to a temporary problem where content gets infused at some point so that it is just a, a recognized part of marketing, yeah. right? It's just a marketing process. But I think ultimately the being facile with content, being really good at content does require some special skills that will require changing the organization yep. somewhat. And it's a, it's a huge cultural issue, right? I mean, I've been running in, right. every, every content marketing event we go to now, and even for our own at Content Marketing World, we're looking at change management issues being central to this happening because you're talking That's about reworking, reworking the entire marketing structure and maybe the organizational structure around this as well. God forbid that scares <laughs> that scares the pants off of a lot of people. <laughs> exactly right. Well, I think we be, exactly well. Right. I think that horse is dead on that topic. Yeah. So let <laughs> let's lovely metaphor. exactly of right. course yeah. Um, <laughs> let's go to and I'll, what is yours? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw one out out at you here. So I really believe I've been on this uh, whole kick about less is more, and I've actually talked the other day to to our good friend Andrew Davis. Uh, author of brand, great book Brandscaping, and and he's been touting this as well. And I really do believe that. I mean, if and I'll, and I'll just go back a little bit. Remember the days of Ping FM? I mean, of Ping, course, yeah, yeah. Remember, we, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, the, our solving our social media channel problems are over because we can take one message <laughs> and we can spray it over a hundred at one time. 
And I think in a lot of cases with content marketing, we're still in that mode. And you and I see it all the time that you've got people in Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and now Vine and Instagram and Pinterest. And they're, they're in the channels that they should never be in. And they're just, they just feel that they need to be there because it's a new channel. And I think that brands are getting a little bit smarter in 2014. They're going to focus on less channels. And in a lot of cases, they're going to focus on dominating one channel. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and I put it all in a LinkedIn post as well, and I'll put that in the show notes. If you look at the greatest media brands of all time, they started in one channel, whether that's the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, whether that's NBC, whether that's Huffington Post, whether that's TEDx conferences, whatever, they all started out dominating one channel, understanding the communication and the conversations that go on in that channel, and then they move, and then they go on to other channels. And I think because most brands are still at the nascent stage of this whole content marketing thing, um, they, they went out and they expanded too fast into other channels. And I think a lot of them bring those reins in and they really focus on, you know, how can we be great at this one channel and really uh, be sort of that must-see TV for this channel before we go out and we need to be in 50 different channels at one time. I think that's well, you know, it's it's right on. Although, you know, well, so in the in the spirit of playing a little devil's advocate here, I don't. When I look at companies that do this, I don't mind them starting wide to to go through a learning process and then narrowing quickly once they find it. You know, once they actually have a presence, the the what I see is a big challenge here is that brands will typically start wide. They'll throw a lot of people at it. And then because they're not organized well, in other words, they don't have that official uh, content organization, they start wide, they start spraying content wide with all of these people and resources and agencies that they've hired. And it becomes incumbent then that they're measuring the channel based on the people. So the people have no incentive to work with each other to go narrow. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, well, if I, if I screw up Facebook, then they're going to kill Facebook and my job goes away. And what I see is, is that once they sort of de-silo that and say, you know what, we know social is going to exist. We just don't know when and where and why yet. And we know that this blog needs to exist, and we know that the website needs to exist, and we know that mobile needs to exist. So we're going to go really narrow and, and just to your point, really focus in on what content resonates best on which channel and really nail it first. And everybody's going to be focused on that. So don't worry about losing your job but really going to be focused in on getting successful with it, which content really resonates, and finding a purpose for each channel where they can go own it. Well, I love that idea of the purpose for each channel. And actually, I think it, I probably should amend the prediction a little bit because and, and we probably, if we're going to play devil's advocate, I mean, we've talked to Jay Bear, uh, you know, our good friend, author of Utility, Jay Bear, a number of times, and he feels that more brands in 2014 will be basically taking these this grain of sand mentality of content and shooting it everywhere possible more content more content more content to get found wherever it's going to get found because the buying decision making process is sort of all over the place and i think that that in my opinion is a little bit of fool's gold mentality i think that the really um if if you're not as sophisticated a content marketing and you want to be successful you'll focus on that one channel before trying to be everywhere at one time. So, I mean, I think you can be successful by being everywhere, but I think those people have already dominated one or two channels, like a Huffington Post. A Huffington Post can have 100 different channels because they've already done it. 
They've already done the model where they've got one, two, three other channels, and they can say, okay, now we're going to expand in this direction because we have that one channel. Like an ESPN can have ESPN Radio and ESPN Online and all these apps and the magazine and whatever, but they started out with the one channel that really worked for them. Yeah, I mean, I love Jay to death, but he's wrong on this. I I don't think – I just don't think that's – first of all, it's unsustainable. And second of all, it's it just exactly as you said, it's fool's gold because what it does is it diffuses you across all of these different channels that you're trying to create some value across. And, and what you end up doing is ultimately just diffusing your content to such an extent that every – you know the expectations – of your customers go up, go up, and you you don't end up having a specific strategy. What you end up having is this sort of, it, it just ends up being inefficient, cost not cost effective, and even if you're successful at it, it's not going to be as good as it could be if you were to actually go and really find a purpose driven marketing content marketing strategy across individual channels. Well, I think two things, and then we'll wrap. I want to get to your prediction. Is I think a, a nice takeaway is for anyone listening to this, make sure you list all your channels and just right above it, the, the, uh, the question, why, why are you in that channel and come up with your purpose? Uh, Most brands, small brands and large brands don't know. Like I've, I've talked to a million uh, people out there and I ask the question a lot. Why are you on Facebook? Most people don't know the answer to that. Most of it's experimental. They're trying to figure it out. Facebook ads, you know, they want to get some engagement, whatever that means to them. Right. So they're doing that. I think the other thing on the unsustainable, I think Jay and like Chris Baggett, a compendium and a few other people would probably say that it is sustainable if you have the processes and you understand that content is an asset and then you can rework that asset into multiple channels. I I'm I'm hedging. I'm not sure that it is. But I think that just to make sure everybody's understands it, some people think that it is sustainable if you have the processes in place. Well, okay, yeah, and, and I would buy that, but I have yet to meet any company, and we deal with a lot of really large organizations that can sustain it at that level. Yep. Now, maybe the SMB market can do that. Maybe the mid-sized market can do that, but very large matrix or global organizations with 140 different languages that they're ma- – you know, that is just – I don't know how they would ever do that. Well, it's a, it, or why they would ever do it, quite frankly. Yeah, boy, we, we and we haven't even, we won't even get to this, but the whole idea, I think, and I was going to talk about translation and localization as a huge issue for fourteen, but I don't know if a lot of brands are there. I think it might be fifteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's everyone for the most part. I mean, we're talking to mostly. We have a, you know, we have a lot of countries listening to this, mostly North America, though, and I think you, we're still in that English centric mentality. And at some point, we've got to get away from that. Uh, That's exactly right. And because I can tell you, having done about half of our work on education and consulting this year in Europe and and also in Australia, it's 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 a, you know, Asia, Europe, the the entire globe or South America, not to leave them out. I mean, the, the entire globe right now is thinking about content marketing and big global brands are really struggling with how to message, how to market and how to create great content for all of those different markets that they serve. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, you know, hat tip to Val Swisher and Val, that's what in our uh, content marketing predictions at Content Marketing Institute this year, that was her prediction was that really we're going to ha- get away. A lot of brands are going to get away with this idea of just focusing on the English language. The, 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 and I think that's going to happen. So I think Val is completely right about that. But it was so much easier in the past because really all you had was print. Now, exactly <laughs> now right. you've got every tweet, every Facebook post, everything, every how you're going to tag it. 
You've got search issues across the board. It is a monumental task. And I think that, boy, down the road, that's going to be a huge industry in and of It already is a big industry, but it's going well, to be a huge I mean, industry in a little bit. I mean, just think, think about it like this. What, one of the things that where we get really U.S.-centric is we start thinking about Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and YouTube as sort of the big four, right? And we go, we forget that Orcut is still huge down in South America. Yep. And in you know it's in Brazil, so it's in Portuguese, right? So and we have you know China. There are very specific South Korea. There are very specific Europe. There are very specific social channels which are huge in those parts of the world that are not in English. That are not you know relating to the cultural things that we are dealing with. That global brands have to deal with. With it, which is why this thing is going to get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just think about this. It's funny when people say that this whole content marketing thing is, is sort of a fad. I, I think about these big issues. You could say whatever you want about the term, but, man, this is going to be unbelievably – I mean, it's going to get so wide and narrow all at the same time, and there's going to be a whole new industry of new jobs coming in and displaced people. And, boy, we're in for a wild ride. Anyways, let's go to your, anyway, let's go to your next right. prediction, my friend. Well, mine, you know, and, and it feels like it wouldn't be a, this whole marketing if we didn't talk about native advertising to some extent. Of course. Um, it's the hot tra- it is the hot topic right now. And I think in 2014, the prediction is this. I think it really takes off. You know, I think – and whether you call it native advertising, and I'm, we're well-worn on this topic in terms of how you and I think about it. You know, whether you call it native advertising or sponsored content or content marketing or whatever it is – the idea of placing content, long form or short form, within the context of other publisher sites, I think is a, a it will be a really big idea in 2014. I just saw an article with, that talked about the New York Times is finally bowing down and is going to is going to offer sponsored content in there. And you know, I think the debate over the journalism and the ethics and the separation of church and state, all that's going to be huge. But I think from a marketing standpoint, it's going to be a it's going to be a big opportunity. You know, one thing to say on that, and you and I, we've been talking about this in email, but my friend Michael Winkleman, who I used to serve on at the board at the Custom Content Council, he was at the FTC meeting uh, recently in New York, and they basically have, they won't rule on it. So, I mean, I just want to throw out that news With to good everyone. reason. Yes. Yeah, with good reason. <laughs> could, you, good reason. could you imagine if they did rule on it? Oh, my uh, goodness. Just, I mean, so that finally, you've got some smart people over there doing something because they didn't. They're going to let well, the market correct itself. But I just want everybody well, to know there's not going to be any laws coming down on this anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how smart it is or not smart yeah. it is. But I, I think the, the smart part was they sort of looked at each other and went, yeah, there's no real standard for this yet. Let's 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 give this a little breathing room before we start laying down like standards and laws and stuff. I mean, there's this is still way early to to try and put any regulations around or anything like that. And I just think it's, you know, it's it, it is it is early days for this right now, and it's gonna it's gonna be a while. Well, you've got two things running this thing, right? You've got one is the fact that. Yeah, I mean, if the opportunity exists, brands are going to look at that. So I want to get your opinion on that, by the way. The other thing is that media companies are selling the heck out of this right now. I mean, they're looking at, if you look at, if you meet with a publisher of any size right now, on their strategy is we are going to offer some kind of sponsored content slash native advertising program. And so they're so you've got hundreds, if not thousands of sales reps out there in every market selling opportunities to brands right now. So that means that, oh, my gosh, we better have some content 
or they have to figure out the content process, whether you work with the publishing company, the media company on that, or you have it inherent to your own company. I mean, my, I guess my question to you is what, you know, your brand, small business, medium sized business, large business listening to this, what would be your um, recommendation as it pertains to native advertising? Well, test it. I mean, you know, it's a it's it's very similar to a media test that you would do, and there are very specific reasons why you might want to do it as a brand. The you know, basically, the foundation of the reason would be there's some reason that you want to align your brand and your approach and your differentiated, unique, you know, story to that publisher's brand. In other words, you're trying to leverage for some reason that brand's audience and you want people that are going to consume content on that platform to consume your content and have some interaction with your brand and put some alignment to it. Maybe you're a startup and you're trying to align yourself with a bit of a larger brand. Maybe you're a large brand and you're trying to remediate some you know, PR crisis. There's a lot of different reasons, of business reasons I can see for wanting to do it. To your second point, I think... The really interesting thing about why we're seeing so much growth from the publishing side is, you know, the publishing industry really missed the early days of digital. And I can remember when we would go into publishing companies and they would be like, we'd say, what's your digital ad strategy for selling? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're just make goods for when we don't do well on print. Oh, God, I remember those days. Yeah. You know, and and right now I think what they've realized is, holy crap, we didn't, you know, we missed the boat this time. Let's not miss it with this. Let's be early and out there often. And they're out there selling to the ad agencies who are doing the media buys, and the media buy buying people, quite frankly, are kind of hungry because it's a new it's a new way to spend money. I haven't seen excitement about online advertising like this in a long, if ever. Yeah, if exactly. ever, if, if the, maybe the start of the banner ad was the first time. That's right. And the fact that you and I know about the start of the banner ad is kind of <laughs> sad. I guess we don't know how old our audience is yet, but. Anyway, yes, so, well, it makes me feel old for sure. So yeah. yes, I, I agree with you that that 2014 will probably be the year of native, and I think you're going to uh, see some massive successes as well as some massive failures in it. And I'm just yes. sort of interested to see how that pans out. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Well, where? So, what's your next prediction? Well, you know, this one sort of has been. I I believe this for a while, but it's really has been spurred on by what we talked about, whether it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, about the, the changes that Facebook has made. You know, when Facebook came out and said, look, you know, if you want to, if you're a brand and you really want to get found on Facebook, you better buy some ads. <laughs> dun, dun, <Yeah>. dun. <laughs> Which we sort of had a good time talking about. And I think what you're going to see is less of a focus on the followers, the Twitter followers or Facebook fans or whatever the connections are. And I think oh, you're going to, I hope you're right. Well, I think you're going to see a flood back to email. I think, you know, of course, how many more email is dead posts are you going to see along with print is dead and everything else is dead. But I really believe that email will rule in 2014. And what that means is you'll see more and more brands trying to figure out as they're creating these consistent content programs in whatever channel they choose. So hopefully, you know, one or two channels that they're trying to dominate, they will focus on creating, refining their audience development program their database and really focus on that subscription program and what's interesting is and i think we talked about this a little bit um a couple weeks ago but i was at an event with scott mccafferty and scott is the publisher of design world magazine and he was basically at the event he said the one thing that would scare him more than anything else that if email went away and every, every publisher in that audience, these are a bunch of CEO publishers, media companies, and they all were shaking their head up and down because email runs the media business model. 
It is yeah. driven by, I mean, the majority of revenue comes in that way. But if you look at brand programs, that's not the case. You don't see that in a lot. You see a lot of disbursement of content all over the place. It's like it's not consistent programs. They're not looking at ongoing audience development programs. They're looking at lead generation more than anything else, I think. But if they looked at it as ongoing audience development, I think then then will they'll see the value like publishers have seen the value. In it. So that's where I – I don't know what your take is, but that's where I think it's going for, for I think that's ex- – no, I think that's exactly right. And I'll actually take one of my predictions off the because I actually – one of my predictions was the print does make a comeback. So I think you're – I think both are right. I think email and print both make a comeback, um, you know, especially print in the B2B space, you know, where it has gone dormant for a long time. But the, the mail, you know, regular mail, snail mail channel has become way cleared up. I mean it is – you know the the amount of junk mail that the that the you know that the average person in the average business is getting this day, these days is way down and i think there's a real opportunity for marketers to to reinvent what they're doing on a print side you know as you might expect really from content but on the email side i couldn't agree with you more because it's how we define audiences right i mean i can't tell you how many brands companies that i speak to that still define the value of what they can do by the size of their email list. Mm-hmm. This is especially true in B2B, obviously, but it's how many people can we identify as real people in a, you know, in a contactable way. And the more information, the more valuable it becomes. You know? and, and I think what you're saying that I absolutely agree with is that there's an opportunity for the, a tr- the, the transition to start. You know, the transition from looking at the email database as a the only way, but it, it can be the a, a great way to communicate, but it's but in terms of an audience development standpoint, it doesn't necessarily have to be the only way. Well it's interesting. By the way, I just think it's funny. That's why we call this show this old marketing, because you and I are talking about email and print. So yeah. <laughs> So this is That's right. this is this old marketing. Uh, here's the one thing that I see. So we get a lot of sponsors that sponsor our webinars. They get leads as part of that. And, you, and then I can see what happens and how they market to those people. It's really interesting. They put them on sort of a short-term nurture schedule of content. And then if they don't respond, it's just those, those things go away and sort of you know, like dormant leads. And they go into some other bucket outside of the nurturing process. I think you're going to go from that type of mentality to especially in B2B, of course, to a, oh, okay, we've got this name. How do we get this person signed up for our content? Right. Instead of, exactly instead right. of how do I pitch them right now? Because we know that for the most part, those people aren't ready to buy. And we don't know even if they're close to ready to buy. So let's figure out first if we can create a trusting relationship with them and start a conversation through our content, through some kind of a subscription program. And then we'll have a better idea of when they're ready to go into our nurturing program for a specific product. That's exactly right. Yep. Amen. Exactly uh, right. Amen. I mean, I'm I'm like feeling. I'm feeling it, man. I think <laughs> I'm getting all I'm getting all hot and bothered, man. All right. Hey, do you do you have uh, do you have another prediction, my friend? I do. Okay, I let's do, hear. It. Actually, yeah. So here's. Uh, well, this will be fun one. This will this will this will hopefully. Well, I don't know. Hopefully, but it'll get me into trouble. I think. Oh, good. Um, so I think you know. I look at agencies and what agencies are doing out there right now. And when I say agencies, I mean everything from the boutique web digital marketing agency to the SEO agency to the really to even the, you know, in some cases, the IT sort of technical implementation firm to the big ad agencies, brand agencies, et cetera. I think 2014 
you know, and we started to see a trend in this in, in 2013, certainly with the popularity of our agency day workshop that we did at Content Marketing mm-hmm. World this year. But I really think that agencies really start to make this transition and start to deliver content marketing as an approach, as a strategic approach within the business, instead of this effort to sort of reinvent SEO or, uh, you know, try and d- deliver campaigns, et cetera. And I think agencies really successfully start to make this transition en masse. But ad agencies don't. I think ad agencies, as they are big ad agencies, as they are currently structured, are in a world of hurt. And I think that world of hurt right, only starts to expand exponentially in 2014. And if they don't start understanding how long-term approaches and engagement with content really affect, they are going to be nothing other than purveyors of short-term creative campaigns. And I think that is a, I think that is a failed strategy. Well, I, I agree with you on the failed strategy, but don't you think that, I mean, we see a lot of the big, uh, like take a WPP, for example, that has purchased a, a one or two that I know of small you know, content marketing shops to sort of add under their wings. Do you think that that's uh, an aberration or, I mean, what do you, what do you, I mean? Th- I don't think it's an aberration, I, but I, 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 I have yet to see them transform, uh, transfer those agents, uh, those content marketing agencies into something that produces content marketing strategies and, or rather what I see is them actually taking those agencies and in many cases they become sort of, a content tactic that gets stapled onto some campaign. In other words, can we create a clever content, organic content, viral campaign that gets stapled onto some ad campaign? They're not looking at it as a way to strategically go insert themselves into the process of how the company markets themselves. They're looking at it as, hey, we can just staple on this social thing or this video thing or this content thing onto this this you know ad campaign that we're doing no i agree i think that the that they love i mean you you use the term and i stole it the idea of clever advertising i think we're seeing a lot of clever advertising programs that we would never necessarily we wouldn't necessarily call content marketing but they would because oh we're using content and here's some video and and oh this is interesting and relevant and entertaining and then it only goes a couple months and then they're off to a new program just the just the sheer fact that I'm starting to get questions from you know and again you know not to beat this dead horse but but we work with a lot of really large companies and and the one of the main questions I get these days is hey our ad agency can't do this we need to talk to some publishing companies who can really help us figure out how we use content more effectively and that that question alone whether they actually have started to execute on that or not tells me that there is a hunger and thirst for transforming the marketing organization into a content producing media company media you know whatever it is the michael brito sort of media media marketing is a media organization yep. whether they actually have executed on that or not what it tells me is is that they're looking at the relationship with their ad agency in a very specific way and in quite frankly a very antiquated way and so if ad agencies don't evolve, and there's all sorts of other reasons that large ad agencies haven't really evolved, and you know, I'll go off on a rant about the WPP and Omnicom and publicist sort of thing, but the, the, the real ability to make an enterprise marketing organization more nimble, more agile, and better with content is really, I think, the differentiation these days. And I think the smaller agencies are starting to do that really well. And the bigger agencies, the bigger ad agencies that are living off of media buys right now, I think are are, are, are going to struggle with this. But you know what the big media buyers are doing right now is they're focusing on native. 
That's right. That's right, because they're still looking at it as a media buy, right? And so it's this, you know, we're still, you know, they're still operating from this, this we're going to take a percentage of the media buy where that model's going to change with content placement it, unless it becomes sort of a standardized, quote-unquote, ad unit that gets created. But um, to me, that that is not the long-term. Yep, Mad Men reincarnate with native right. advertising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think we, right. we could see it, my friend. So do we have, like, how much more time do we have? You want to go through a couple more, and then we'll go to yeah, our rants go, and raves here? That's right. Let's go. Let's do one more, and then we'll go to our rants and raves. So, I'm a, so you, you finish this yeah, up here. I've, Give me something big. Give me something big. I want something big here. Get, 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 yeah. Oh, you want the big? Okay, let's, let's – uh, boy, I've got so many. Let me let me go. Here's what I'm going to go out on a ledge here, my friend. I'm going to go out on a ledge, and I'm going to get really specific. And the reason why I like specific is that I probably will not get this right, and I because most of my predictions don't come true, anyways. But here's one <laughs> that I think is going to happen: Microsoft. Microsoft oh. will buy not one, but two media companies in 2014. It. And I think what that's going to create is a domino effect. Because you're going to see that happening where a non, large non-media company buys a media company and it'll start a rainstorm of uh, discussion and possibilities around more of that happening. Because right now, I'm actually dumbfounded. We haven't seen much of this happen outside of uh, Adorama uh, buying JPG Magazine. I think that was back in 2009. And then you had Google buying Frommers and, Z- and Zagat. And that you haven't heard much. But I think 2014, you're going to see it come out. And I think Microsoft... Is, is probably the best positioned with their ca- cash as well as the fact that they have sort of that media roots uh, with the MSNBC and some other and the Channel 9 that they do and a couple other things. And I just think it's going to open the floodgates. And then so 2014 will be marked as the year that uh, non-media companies started buying media companies, and then you're just going to see it take off, and then the FTC won't know what to do anymore. That's I, I like that very much. All right, so let me, let me compliment you with one of my own. Oh, good. Make it a big one. Yeah. Make it a big one. Next year, Google buys Yahoo. No. How about that? No. Really? <laughs> you don't think so? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, you know what? I mean, Yahoo, more than anything else right now, with the, the Katie Couric and the David Pogue moves that they're doing, they're, they're really super positioning themselves back to a media company. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think Marissa Meyer is 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 doing that with a very specific purpose in mind. Well, I think that that would be a brilliant move. I think there would be a lot of uh, <laughs> dissenting uh, opinions on that one, but I think that would be brilliant. Of for, course. Well, it'd be brilliant for Google because the fact is, is that Google owns everything about the customer um, it, it, in the buying uh, decision making process. Google can rule everything except they don't rule all the content. That's right. So they need the content. So at some point. Google, I think the only reason why, I mean, what do you think? The only reason why Google hasn't made those moves to this point is because somebody would say, hey, no, 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 this is monopolistic. You can't do this. Yeah, but they're not a search engine anymore, right? So, so they're not, so there isn't really a, a, a big monopolistic sort of angle to it. You know, it's just another media property like YouTube or any of the other media properties that they have. Oh, my goodness. I think you're right. <laughs> I, think it's, I didn't think about that one, but I think it's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> well, we'll see how accurate it turns out to be. <laughs> oh, so anyways, we'll put all those in the show notes for everybody, yeah. and we've got lots of links that we'll uh, tie it to as well. But that was fun. I enjoyed that. That was really, that was really fun. All right, so it's, uh, you know, the, we, the only thing we're going to do this week that we normally do is our rants and raves. 
Um, and uh, Joe, you want to go first with your rant or rave this week? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm going to send out. Let me get to the uh, the part here. I'm going to send out a rave to my good friend Cassio Politi. I don't know if you remember meeting Cassio at uh, the um, at Content Marketing World. Uh, he's been a big supporter of ours from Brazil, and he put together an amazing. A research study, and I've got to give him some props because, as you know, we've been doing the content marketing benchmarks uh, research project for four years now with with Ann Hanley at uh, at Marketing Profs, and a few, and then that, of course that's expanded into nonprofit B two B B two C. Well, Cassio was great. He he wanted to put one together for Brazil, and we just got the results. So I'm going to put these results in the show notes. But here's what he found. I'll, I'll throw some of these at you. 83% of Brazilian B2B marketers use content marketing in some way to achieve their marketing goals. I think that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's yeah. not it's over 90% in the States, but, I mean, that's pretty high. And, and what we do know, what I know, is that Brazil's moving really fast in content marketing. Here's some other things to throw at you. 49% consider themselves effective at content marketing, actually a higher number that we see in the States. Wow. 46% say they have a documented content strategy. Now, I would probably say that, they, I would like to check their definition of a content strategy. <laughs> sure, but, yeah, exactly. But they believe it. And I'll, I'll lead with this at the end here. Uh, the Brazilian B2B marketers use Facebook more than uh, any other channel, any other social channel, 75%, which I thought that wow. was interesting, especially with that your comments really in, in the show. And then their, their uh, social, media, our, uh, social media e-newsletter are their most popular content marketing tactics and – their number one most effective content marketing tactic in Brazil is video. Wow. So anyways, I'll put those up there. And I just wanted to shout out to Cassio because he put, did a lot of work putting that together. And it, we need this in the industry. and We need more countries putting this together. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Well, mine is also, I guess it's, I guess it's a rave this week. Um, oh, every you know, one this... of your raves is also a rave, <laughs> right? It's, it's <laughs> never just a rave. <laughs> well, you know, so... This week was a weird week when it came to and, – and weirdly, I was out of the country and still heard about this, uh, which was you know the social media kerfuffle over the Duck Dynasty guy yep. and his sort of insensitive comments as well as the Justine Seiko from, uh, from IAC, uh, the PR. She headed a PR there and her sort of insensitive tweet. And what I want to give a rave to because certainly I don't want to get into a debate about what they said because both – I think we can we can all agree that what they both said was probably untoward at best. Um, and what I want to do is give out a, a shout-out to Ann Handley who wrote a blog post that we will put in the show notes. And the blog post that she wrote specifically really about the Justine Seiko uh, event – was just, I thought, really right on. I mean, just just really encapsulated. And what she said was, and what I want to say, and she said more elegantly than I will here, is she just basically said, look, when we have the ability, sort of this double-edged sword that we have now, this our ability to publish with, tech, you know, using technology to publish, where we're all publishers, and as brands, as individuals, as the ability to reduce the friction between Getting an audience and collecting an audience and putting content in front of that audience becomes lower and lower and lower. It is not only a privilege, it is a responsibility. And she just framed that up really well, and I just thought it was one of the best written things that I would saw about how – really, at the end of the day, we need to remember that we need to be much smarter about this because – it is a tough world out there right now, you know. So say what you say about what she said, you know, and 
what she, you know, and how ignorant or stupid or whatever you want to say about it was. I think it tells us a lot about where we are right now with this thing called the internet, where it is about race, where it is about humor, where it is about professional expectations. You know, anything that we have to do with where we sit as a public personality or as a private personality. The weird part about it was how much pleasure people seemed to take in sort of her demise and this sort of weird kind of joy that people took in in seeing her get you know torched by the by the internet and i think uh i think it's just a really interesting and a big lesson that we need to take forward as we go into the new year is how we approach content is a really great and powerful thing but it's also a very very big responsibility for us and as ann says it's a privilege to publish and it's a uh it's a it's one that we should Take careful. I think that's a great way to sum up this episode and this year, for for that matter. And and I yeah. just think of when you were saying that, I think of Uncle Ben to to Peter and Spider Man saying, "With great power comes great responsibility." That's, right. that's yeah, all you have to one. say. Yep, that's a good one. So, what's the what's the holiday plan? The New Year plan for you, my friend? Looking forward to staying around the area. We go to Sandusky, Ohio, and Cleveland. We've got family and friends around here, and just looking forward to spending time with the kids and the family. And and how about yourself? I am home for the holidays, and I could not be happier about it. I am going to just spend some time not looking at a computer screen and actually hopefully now watching a little bit of football and eating a lot of food and drinking some really good wine. Well, it's been a great year. It's wonderful to share it with you, Robert, and I wanted to thank everybody listening to this and all our supporters for for making this thing possible and looking forward to a fantastic 2014. Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll, I'll echo those sentiments and, uh, and just sign off for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose, and I hope you and yours have a wonderful, delightful, magical, and prosperous new year. Remember, if you'd like your question answered on any of the shows here, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was a very special and fun episode number six. We hope you look forward to these over the course of the next year because we're going to do them every week, whether you like it or not. And we're hoping you and your family have a great holiday. Remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well, and we'll see you next year. Bye-bye.